school, your workplace, or across the street. Relationships are everywhere. And having healthy ones are vital to living the best life possible. God designed us for relationships, and we are stronger together. In this series, Relationship Goals, we'll dive into what it looks like to cultivate healthy and thriving relationships in every area of our lives. All right, hello City First. How's everybody doing this Sunday? Huh? Yeah? Well, it's good to have you here at church. There's no better place that you could be today. And if you're here for the very first time, uh, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jeremy, and I'm just glad that you're here. And I want to also welcome our City First Church family. Let's give it up for Cape Coral, Florida. Let's give it for the State Line location. Also, Dixon and Hardy got behind bars, as well as online and on TV. We love you guys very much. And maybe you are joining us from the land of Dixie, somewhere in Tennessee or something like that online. But anyway, we are excited that you are here, and we are in a series called Relationship Goals, all right? And what we are talking about is we're talking about things that strengthen our relationships. It could be uh, any relationship. It talks about, you know, just, just being healthy, because this is what I know. If you work on your relationships to become more healthy, you have a healthier life inside, all right? So we're going to talk about this, and it doesn't matter if you are married or if you are single or if you're divorced or widowed or somewhere in between. Uh, uh, this series is about principles that will help you with whatever relationships that you have. And so this is not just about romantic relationships. I realize some of you just had Black Friday, right? Uh, some of you that were single, you're like, oh yes, it's Valentine's Day, and I'm reminded of my singleness once again. Um, no, you know what? This is not a series about romantic relationships only. It is about all relationships. Now, I'm going to pull way back in some of our memories for a second, uh, back to 2001. I realize some of you down in this section down here aren't even like born yet. But anyway, in 2001, there was a movie that came out called Ocean's Eleven. Anybody remember Ocean's Eleven? Yeah, remember Ocean's Eleven? Okay, this, uh, the, for those of you that watch like The Mandalorian, there's like Baby Yoda. This right here, this is Baby Brad Pitt, all right? So he was in Ocean's Eleven. But anyway, it was about a, a group of individuals led by an individual by the name of Danny Ocean. It's a fictional story. Danny Ocean assembled 11 other people to help him pull off the biggest heist in all of Las Vegas history. They were going to knock up, knock off three uh, casinos in one night and steal all the money. And so uh, it was actually a phenomenal movie. It was a lot of fun. But really, the basis of the movie is this. They needed all 11 people with Danny. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just him and seven or him and three or him and ten. But he needed 11 people to pull off the job. And in the same way today, I want to talk to you, ironically enough, that you need 11 other relationships to be able to be a complete individual in God. You need to have 11 other influences in your lives, 11 other relational characteristics, if you are to be everything that God wants you to be. And so today, I want to talk about these 11 relationships, all right? Now, let me say this from the get-go, though. There isn't one person in your life that has all 11 of these characteristics. 
Even those of you that are married, you know this, that your spouse, it is unfair for them to absolutely fulfill every single need that you have, right? Now, there are certain needs that a spouse is supposed to fill according to God. Like, there is a sexual intimacy that is supposed to be fulfilled by just your spouse, all right? Um, there are certain things that your spouse can only fill or needs they can only fill, but there are other people needed in your life, and so therefore there are 11 relationships that you need. And let me also say this, that I'm getting a lot of my content from a friend of mine who wrote this book. His name is Leonard Sweetie. wrote the book 11. Um, I actually had to read this book um, as part of my master's degree uh, studies, and he is a professor out at George Fox University in Portland, Oregon. And uh, he's a friend, and I will tell you I highly recommend getting this book. But today, I want to talk about all 11 of these relationships you need. So yes, I have 11 points to my sermon today, which means we'll get out of here in about three and a half hours, so we're good. All right, just settle in. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to nail this in the normal amount of time, but this is what I'm asking you to do. Take notes, open up the City First Church app, because I'm going to give you a lot of information, and I'm not going to dive deep into each of these points, but I'm going to allow them to marinate this week and for you to think about them and think about specifically who is or who could be a part of this journey. We are all on a journey. We're all on a journey. In fact, who is with you on the journey determines whether or not we get to our desired destination. Back when I was a youth pastor, I used to say it this way, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. In other words, who you're on the journey with is very important. The journey changes us, but it is the people that are on the journey that do the deepest work of transformation in us, who God uses the most. In fact, I would even say this from the get-go, I think you can find all 11 of these relationships within the church. In fact, I think that is why we are the church, because these 11 relationships actually are found within a church and that we can become complete in who God wants us to be. And so we aren't going to go real deep, but I do want you to take notes. All right, you guys ready? All right, ready? Put your seatbelts on. Number one is this. The first relationship is you need a true friend. You need a true friend. Now, how many of you would say amen to that? Raise your hand, right? I, you know, you need a true friend. Now, hopefully, if you're married, um, this is your spouse, all right? Um, I believe your true friend, your closest friend, your best friend should be your spouse. In fact, they even say that the longest journey of life relationally is who you're married to, for those of you that are married. But you know what? All of these points, again, I, are not all just for married people. Statistics say that there are over 40% of the people that I'm talking right now to in every single location, in every room, 40% of you are single, which means over, almost one out of every two of us are single. So listen closely. Even if you're single, you need a true friend. It was written one time, there are only two people who can tell you the truth about yourself, an enemy who has lost his temper and a friend who loves you dearly. Is that not true? In the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan was a best friend to King David. Now, David at this point hadn't become king yet, but they were best friends. We talk about David all the time. 
fact, David wrote the majority of the book of Psalms, and a lot of the books in the Old Testament tell his story, and he, you know, fought Goliath, and all these famous stories. Well, anyway, he had a really good friend by the name of Jonathan, and the Bible says this, that Jonathan loved David as much as Jonathan loved himself. You see, a Jonathan is someone who's going to love you when you're not lovable. A Jonathan is someone who is loyal when you're really difficult to be loyal to. It's someone who knows you, knows everything about you, and loves you anyway, is for you, who defends you when you don't deserve it. You know, for me, this is Jen. I, I have a few Jonathans, but for me, definitely the, the number one Jonathan is Jen, my wife. I mean, she is the one that, that is, is my very best friend and such. And, and this is the thing. We all got to find this person. Now, let me also say this before I go much deeper into these points is that the right people don't just show up into your life most of the time. You have to go after them. In fact, you have to go after what you want. Some of you are going to write down the point and go, yep, I wish I had one of them. Yep, I wish I had one of them too. All right, well, you know what you got to do? You got to go after them. You got to be strategic. You got to be purposeful because you know what? A lot of times the right people don't end up in your journey or in, your, in you and their journey by mistake. It really takes effort and searching. And again, I think the church is the best place to find that. A guy by the name of Ty Cobb, many of you recognize that name, one time said this, if I had a chance to live life over again, um, I'd do it different. I'd have more friends. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, he had probably a lot of acquaintances, a lot of business associates, and a lot of fans, but he needed a Jonathan-type person. You know, uh, there's a pastor in Manhattan named Timothy Keller. He said this. He said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. You need a true friend. Number two, you need a butt kicker. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, I'll be your butt kicker. Now turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I've never heard this as a point in a sermon before. <laughs> you remember this one. You need a butt kicker. In the Old Testament, we learned about a guy by the name of Moses. And y'all probably heard of Moses before. And Moses was a leader of the Israelites out of the slavery in Egypt, brought them out of slavery, led them across uh, to the edge of the promised land for the next 40 years. Well, he married a woman by the name of Sipporah. And Moses lived with Sipporah's father, or his father-in-law, Jethro, for a little while. And basically, he worked for his father-in-law. So Moses, like, kept the farm, you could say, and tended the flocks and things like that. Well, then there came a point where Moses and Sipporah needed to leave the in-law's house. Some of you are like, amen, preach it, Jeremy, all right? But you know what? It got to that point. And so I'll tell you what Jethro did. Jethro gave a little nudge to move Moses and Zipporah on their way. What is my point? We need people in our life who push us into our future. You need a butt kicker. You need someone who is going to kick you out of your comfort zone that you call the will of God. Let that sink in for a minute. 
You need people that are going to challenge you. People are going to ask you questions. People are going to give you a little nudge, a little push. They love you, but sometimes they make you extremely uncomfortable because they push you into the great unknown, into situations that give you, you know, kind of nerves and anxiety, and you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to. I want to stay safe. These butt kickers in our life refuse to allow us to stay safe. In other words, these are people that bless you forward. Think about that. They bless you forward. This is the person that gives you a little shove in the right direction. Y'all need a butt kicker. And sometimes this person makes you mad. Amen? They make you mad because they make you uncomfortable, but they love you enough to not allow you to stay comfortable. Instead, they are blessing you forward into your future. Number three, you need a truth teller. You need someone who's going to tell you the truth. It says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. In other words, sometimes a friend needs to tell you the truth. If you are only surrounding yourself with people who make you feel good, you are going to soon be deceived in life. You need to have people that tell you the truth because none of us are perfect and we need someone that is going to point out our flaws in a loving way. In the Old Testament, there was a guy by the name of Nathan. Nathan was a prophet. You could call him a pastor. And he was the pastor to King David. We talked about King David just a few moments ago. So King David is king by this point and Nathan is the pastor or the prophet to the king. And uh, David did some really wrong things. Like, for example, he had an affair with his next-door neighbor named Bathsheba. She was married. And that created a little bit of a complexity. And so because he was king, he was able to have Bathsheba's husband knocked off. Like the mafia. Like, literally. It was like literally this thing where he had her husband killed. And then he married Bathsheba. Well, during this whole thing, he's living in sin, and you know who comes along? Nathan comes along, comes knocking at David's palace's door and says, you know what, David, you are living in sin. Told him the truth, told him what he didn't want to hear, right? See, back in the day, the king had ultimate power. If you ticked the king off, he could have you killed like that. So Nathan actually was taking quite a risk by confronting David and telling him the truth. See, many times we just want to surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. We don't want to surround ourselves with people who tell us the truth. In fact, some of you, you squirm out of friendships that tell you the truth. You avoid them. You let them go to voicemail. You don't return those text messages. You don't take people up on those lunch appointments, right? Because it doesn't feel good to have somebody tell you the truth. But I'm telling you, we all need a truth teller in our life. We need someone who's going to tell us the truth, even if we make them pay. Hopefully we don't. We need somebody who's going to look at us and be like, quit being a jerk. Someone's going to look at us and say, stop your whining. You're having a pity party and we're all invited and we don't want to be. Someone's going to look at you and say, you're wrong. When's the last time that somebody looked at you lovingly 
and said, you're wrong when you thought you were completely right. You know what Nathan's name means? His name means gift, which means truth tellers in our lives are really gifts. They're gifts to help us keep on the straight and narrow. Number four, you need a protege. You need a Padawan. You need someone who is a learner in your life. The New Testament was primarily written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. We talk about him a lot. He was a leader over many churches, but he had a protege. He had someone he was mentoring by the name of Timothy. Uh, we don't know uh, Timothy's dad, uh, if he really was uh, in his picture in Timothy's life or not. We get the picture that he wasn't. He was either dead or MIA. And so we hear about Timothy's mom. Well, in a sense, Paul takes Timothy under his wing. He takes this young protege under his wing and he starts to give him like, you know, like things to do in the church. He starts to give him leadership and he coaches him along the way. We need someone in our life who we are teaching. We need someone who we are apprenticing. Do not die with all the knowledge that you have kept to yourself but rather give it away to others and make it strategic. Who are you bringing at work? Who are you bringing in the neighborhood? Maybe at church or if you're a leader, someone that you're saying, I want to bring you with me and I want to impart unto you the wisdom that I have. And some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I am not that wise. I've actually screwed up a lot in my life. Well, listen, you have wisdom about screwing up and you can help others not do it. You have wisdom about God's grace. You have wisdom about the God of second chances. So listen, all of us have something to give to a younger generation. There's an African proverb about uh, these elephants that were, were going to cross this raging river. And so the older elephants walked across like they had thousands of times before. But they looked back on the other side and still on the other bank, there were the younger elephants that were much smaller in stature. And so they were afraid to come across the rushing water because they might be swept away. So the older elephants got back into the water and they stood shoulder to the shoulder, the African proverb says, and they started to block the raging rapids so that on the other side of them, the water was more calm and the younger ones could cross. That is a great picture of what we are to do in life. We are to stand with our strength and our experience, blocking some of the rapids of life so that the younger ones can develop strength and be able to someday take our place. So who are you consistently helping? The fifth one is this, you need an encourager. You need an encourager. You need someone who's going to speak life into you says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. His real name was Joseph, but evidently he was such an encourager that literally the apostles gave him a nickname. We, they said, you are Barnabas. In the Bible, your name either reflected your destiny or your present personality or character. And so they gave him a new name. They said, you know what? I know your name is Joe, but you're no longer Joe to us. You're Barnabas. Why? Because you have so much encouragement. It means son of encouragement. You see, we need a Barnabas in our life. We need somebody who's going to encourage us, someone who speaks life into us, someone who believes in us, someone who verbalizes and says, you know what? 
I believe in you. And they stand on the, the sidelines of your life and they cheer you on saying, you can do it. You can do it. You know, uh, it's, it's hard to find people like this. But one of the ways that you can find somebody like this is to be a Barnabas to somebody else. So give away what you need. If you need encouragement, give it away. But I will tell you, we need the Barnabases in our life. And, and, and you know, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Wendell Berry, and he wrote this. He goes, be joyful even though you have considered all the facts. <laughs> we need Wendells in our life, right? Can I take a moment and speak just to the married couples that are in the house and watching right now? I believe the chief encourager needs to be your spouse, and you need to be the chief encourager to your spouse. I believe that. Within a marriage relationship, you guys should be the chief encouragers to one another. And here's the reason why. Whoever encourages you gives you strength and life, and you are endeared to them. You don't want somebody with a louder voice of encouragement outside of your marriage encouraging your spouse. Do you hear that? Some of us, some of us, we have, we have it down that we're the chief critic of our spouse. But instead, let's be the chief encourager of our spouse. Let's believe in that. I know Jen is that for me. In fact, she, she's sick today. And, and you know what? She was watching the, the service before this online. And she sent me a little text message. And at the end of it, she goes, your chief encourager. It's really true. She is. And I hope I am that for her. But you even need people outside of your marriage. For those of you that are married, you, married, you need people that are encouraging you. Because it stiffens your spine, and it gives you wind in your sails, you could say. And like the song, wind beneath your wings, all right? We won't go there. That will start getting really cheesy. All right, number six, you need a mentor. You need a mentor in your life. You need someone who is a sage in your life, who is further down the journey, probably older than you, that has dormant wisdom that they've learned through the decades that they can impart to you, okay? Now, I just got done talking about that you need a, a person you're mentoring, but you also need a mentor. You need someone who is not just your Timothy, but you need someone who is your Paul, if that makes sense. You know, many of you know about Star Wars and Yoda, right? All right, Yoda was of the Jedi order, and what did he do? He had all this wisdom, and he had this power, and he trained like Luke Skywalker to become a Jedi. You need a Yoda. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, I need a Yoda in my life. You don't need a baby Yoda. You need an old Yoda, the wrinkly kind of Yoda, okay? You need someone that you can sit under, and you can learn from. And can I tell you, especially young people, be careful who your mentor is. Choose them wisely. Just because they got a lot of Instagram likes, just because they, they, they could speak well, just because they're a best-selling author, just because they're a social media influencer, does not mean they are a good mentor. You know, Napoleon was a great general. He was a terrible mentor. He was not a good person. So this is the thing. You have to have someone who has these three characteristics. Someone who has humility, honesty, and honor. I'm telling you, if you find that person, that's the person that you want to mentor you, okay? Also, once you find that person, humble yourself and listen to them. 
and ask questions and serve and you will see your wisdom will grow in life. Number seven, you need somebody who's going to get your back. Someone who's going to get your back. Not put a knife in your back, get your back. Does that make sense? If you need a guide, then you definitely need a guardian. You need someone who's going to cover your weaknesses and compensate for your shortcomings. You know, in an organization, for those of you that have leadership in an organization, maybe you're uh, in charge of hiring you know that you hire the weaknesses of the organization. In other words, like I even know for City First, I have certain strengths and I have certain weaknesses. So when I go to hire, I'm hiring my weaknesses because I already have my strengths. I'm hiring people that are going to, in a sense, cover my blind side. For those of you that know anything about, about football, you know that a quarterback needs an offensive lineman that is going to protect his blind side. Does that make sense? And in the same way in life, you need somebody who's going to protect your blind side. In the Old Testament, there was a lady by the name of Deborah. Deborah was a judge. Now back then, judges were not just people that had, you know, gavels or something like that, but rather instead they were people that kind of in many ways acted like a pastor also, that they were hearing from God and speaking truth. And so Deborah heard a word from God and spoke it to one of the generals of the army and said, hey, listen, you need to assemble your troops in this certain way in this upcoming battle because God said you'll get victory. And you know what? That general was like, wow, that's right. I didn't think of that. What Deborah had done is Deborah had covered his blind side had spoken to the weakness in that general and made him strong. And so that general even looked at Deborah and looked back and said this um, about the battle. If you go, I'll go. If you don't, I won't. In other words, what the general was saying is, I understand you have a wisdom in an area that I lack it. You have strength in an area that is my weakness. And so Deborah agreed to go with him. We can learn from this. We can learn that someone needs to cover our blind side. Someone needs to do that. Who does that for you? Who compensates for your weakness? Maybe that is your spouse. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Who compensates for your weakness? If you can think of somebody, thank them this week. Because I'll tell you what, sometimes we just assume they're going to do that. But thank them and say thank you for covering my blind side. All right, number eight. You ready for this one? Number eight, you need to reject. Yeah, you need a reject. Some of you are like, I have these in spades. Let me tell you. No, you need a reject in your life. You need someone who's a little off, maybe a little crazy. Maybe they're just kind of out there, out of place a little bit. Like everybody else in your life is all tidied up, and then you have that one person, right? And when that person calls you, you see their name on the cell phone, and you're like, oh, God, help me. You need that person. And I'll tell you why that need, you need that person. Because God is using that person to teach you something. You need someone who's a reject in your life. You need someone who maybe makes you even feel a little uncomfortable, a little uncomfortable about the choices they're making and what they're doing. In fact, in the New Testament, there's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. He was of short stature. In fact, some of you remember from Sunday school, a little song about him, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, so the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, I'm the only old guy in the room then, evidently. Okay, cool. All right, so anyway, what he was, he was a man of short stature, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree because he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. 
And, and yet, he was called a chief tax collector. The tax collectors in Jesus' day were hated people. They were a part of a corrupt IRS system in the Roman Empire. Because what they would do is they would upcharge people. They would basically go and they would say, you owe this much in taxes when the people only owed this much. But they had authority and the people couldn't argue it. They couldn't like refute it. And so tax collectors were pretty rich people, but they were slimy. They kind of had business ethics of a Bernie Madoff or something like that, literally. And so they were very, very hated people. Well, Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. And he climbs up in a tree, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down? Today I'm going to come to your house, and we're going to have a meal together. I want to talk to you. You see, this kind of like kind of messes with us a little bit because we avoid the very people that Jesus wanted to hang out with. We avoid the people that are a little off, that make us uncomfortable, that are the rejects, that are out of place, that are kind of cringeworthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we avoid them, but you need that person. You need that person to remind you that God's love is powerful for all people. And when that person is in your life, God is teaching you something about his love. Number nine, you need a wanderer. Not a wanderer, but a wanderer. Someone who wonders, who has wonder. You know, in the uh, book of Acts chapter 12, there's a story about the apostle Peter, and he's preaching about Jesus. This is after Jesus ascended to heaven, and Peter gets arrested and thrown into prison. And when he does that, all of the followers of Jesus and the disciples, they go huddle in this house and they begin to pray. And they're like, God, we pray for Peter. We pray that you would give him freedom. We pray that God, the, Roman, the Romans would not put him to death. They, they began to pray for Peter's release. Well, in the middle of the night, Peter's in prison and an angel visits and opens the door and Peter walks out freely. And so what does he do in the middle of the night? He walks to that house where all of his friends and the followers of Jesus are all hanging out, and he knocks on the door. The Bible says in Acts chapter 12, Peter knocked on the door, or knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda, Rhoda's a child, by the way, short for Rosebud, came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it <laughs> and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. All the adults that are having the prayer meeting, they're having this prayer meeting. They all look at her and they say, you're out of your mind, kid. You're out of your mind. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. As if that's not supernatural enough. And so what do they do? They go and they found out it's really Peter. You know what you need? You need a Rhoda in your life. You need someone with childlike faith. Some of you are way too rational. You need a little childishness in your life, in a sense. Not, not in the sense of where, where you, know, you act childish, but rather you need someone of childlike faith. You need someone that's going to come and have wonder and believe for big things. And where you've already marked off situations in your life, you're like, oh, that's impossible. That's not never going to happen. There, that prayer is never going to come true. You have someone that has childlike faith in your life that says, no, I believe. 
I believe. You know, uh, many months ago, um, Jen and I were in the Nashville area, and we visited a friend's house, um, Gabe and Rebe Rebecca Lyons, and they have two children with Down syndrome, and and um, and we have one. You know, so kind of God brought us together, and their youngest is named Joy, and they just adopted her from China about a year and a half ago or so. This is this is a picture of Joy, and so she's a cutie. And uh, when we came in the house, um, Joy uh, blew off Jen and just wanted to hang out with me, which you know I get. But anyway, um, so anyway, we're on the couch, and we're talking with Gabe and Rebecca, and. And, and Joy is just sitting next to me, as close as she could possibly get. And the whole time that I'm talking, she's just smiling at me. And I talk with my hands a lot. And finally, she just kind of reaches up and grabs my hand and just holds it. And she wants to hold hands. And she's just smiling. She's just smiling and holding hands with me as we're talking. And I thought in that moment, I thought, you know what? It's really hard to be stressed out of your mind when a kid is holding your hand. It's really hard to be super busy when a child just wants to hold your hand. I'm not talking about holding hands at Disney World, all right? I mean, that's a different kind of category. I'm talking about when there's someone in your life who just makes you slow down and makes you wonder again, have wonder, makes you believe like kids believe in the impossible. You need someone in your life, and they may be 68 years old, but they have childlike faith, and they believe that God is going to do the impossible in your life. You need someone like that. You know, Leonard Sweet said this, sometimes it takes a child to point out the obvious. The last point is this, and I'm, I know some of you are like going, wait a minute, this is point 10. Yeah, but point 10 and 11 are combined together because they go together. I told you I was going to get through all 11 points in our time together. It says this, the uh, 10th and the 11th relationship is you need a giver and a receiver. You need a giver and a receiver. You need someone who's a giver in your life, and you need someone who's a receiver in your life. You need someone who models giving. Um, in the New Testament, we find out that really the people that funded Jesus's ministry and later on in Acts, the first century church, were business women. Yeah, you heard me right, business women. If it's actually, it was some wealthy women of resource that actually funded the, ver the first century church and Jesus's ministry when he was doing ministry for the first three years. And um, one of them's name was Lydia. Lydia was a merchant in purple linen or cloth. Now, now this is the thing. Um, Purple, back then, this cloth was very, very rare, and only the elite would wear it, like Caesar would wear purple, or the high priest would wear purple. It, it was not for everybody. This was not like Ralph Lauren or Tommy Bahama. This was like Oscar de la Renta, East Saint Laurent, Hermes. We're talking like Louis Vuitton, top end stuff. We're talking like, it is like the elite of the elite, like what you saw all the Hollywood stars where on Sunday at the Oscars. It was that level. She owned a business that sold that kind of cloth. She was super wealthy and she funded the church. 
and she gave away a ton of money and she had a big house and she would allow the apostles to come and stay there and she would feed them and 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 you know there's all the stuff that she did you need a Lydia in your life and I know some of you are like going yeah I do I need somebody's gonna give me money no that's not the point you need someone who is generous that's gonna challenge you to be more generous with re regardless of the amount of money you have because God never looks at the amount of money we have and says oh once you get to a certain amount then you start being generous you know in fact what caught Jesus's eye was the widow who gave two pennies two mites you see this is the thing it's not about how much money you have it's about a Lydia reminding you to give the things that someday are gonna be in heaven give the things that are eternal life change for people give the things that that are gonna make a difference for all eternity that's what Lydia did. But also the second person is Lazarus. Lazarus was a fictional character in one of Jesus's parables. And he actually, we believe, named this character after his good friend, Lazarus, who was a real person who died. And then Jesus like rose from the dead. You know what I mean? Raised him from the dead. So, so anyway, the fictional character, Lazarus, Jesus said, was a poor man with sores that was out on the street begging outside of a rich person's home and the rich person would just give him crumbs but never had to wanted to have a relationship with Lazarus you know what Lazarus reminds us of we need Lazaruses in our lives it reminds us that we are we are to have a relationship with the under-resourced so we have a Lydia that reminds us to be generous and we need Lazaruses who remind us that people are in need around us it keeps us on our true north in God. Be generous and also help people in need. So we need someone who's a giver and we need someone who's a receiver. There's your 11 right there. You need all 11. You don't need eight, you need 11. Jer, I got nine, you need 11. Where do I find the others? You pray and you seek. Let me go back to what I said. The right people don't just land in your life most of the time. You have to go after them. You have to pray about it and you have to seek them. So this week, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at that list of 11, which ones are missing and pray and seek to fill those gaps. Unashamedly, I give a plug for this. I believe all 11 of these are found within the church, more specifically in life groups. I think if you get in a life group, you're gonna see that you may find a truth talker there. You might find somebody who covers your back. You might find somebody who's a good friend, someone who is a giver that teaches you about generosity, someone who's a receiver that teaches you that there are people in need around you, someone who is needed in your life for you to be complete you need all 11 of these so look for them pray for them I want to leave you with this I'm gonna read a Francescan blessing it's a prayer and this is how we're gonna end before someone at all of our locations will come up and dismiss us it says this may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May you not have superficial relationships. 
may you have these 11, your 11, to be able to make you into a complete person that God wants you to be. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that?